The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, and it is a pleasure to be talking to this particular guest this week. I am happy every time she joins us. Our guest this week is an acclaimed LA-based entertainment lawyer who represents a wide range of professionals in the music industry. She was rated recently one of the top music lawyers by Billboard magazine, and her writing has been featured in publications such as Forbes, Sync Tank, and Hypebot. You can find out more about her work by visiting www.themusicindustrylawyer.com. We are happy to welcome one of our favorite guests, Aaron M. Jacobson, onto the Break the Business podcast. Hi, Aaron. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to be talking to you. Before we get into the legal stuff and the music stuff, I would be remiss if I didn't start by just congratulating you on being rated one of the top music lawyers by Billboard for 2020. We got a little bit of a fanfare here. There we go. <laughs> a big, big budget, big budget fanfare here on the podcast. Um, but I, I'm curious because you know I I want I want you to take us to the moment. Take us to the moment when you found out you were getting this honor. How do they tell you? I'm, I'm hoping there's confetti and balloons involved in some way. Um, no, <laughs> but it was just as good as if there had been confetti and balloons. Uh, no, it was great. They um, they sent me an email, let me know I was going to be included on the list, um, and uh, it was I was just you know super honored and excited and um, really it really meant a lot to me. And so yeah, thank you, Billboard. That's wonderful. And, and you're probably yeah. a lot like me, where you were growing up reading billboard every week and you know wanting to see yourself on the you know and and like always keeping track of the charts and everything and that's probably what got you into the music business and so to see your name in that publication in the profession that you've dedicated yourself to that that just must be overwhelming for you yeah it was it's like i said it's just a really big honor so i'm very grateful i was fanboying the whole time because like i'm reading this (laughs) and like i you know, the longer I do this, the more I get to see like names that I recognize. Right. So I, I saw I saw your name, and then I saw uh, Leslie Ziegel, who's a, an attorney mm-hmm. I work with a lot in Miami, who works yeah. with Pitbull, and I was just like, "Oh, there's Aaron. Oh, there's Leslie. Yes, yeah, oh, fabulous." Yeah. So we got ourselves a top lawyer here, listeners, who's uh, gonna talk to us this week about protecting our music. And I, you know, as more and more artists are creating more and more during quarantine. It's more important than ever for artists to kind of be aware of why it's critical to protect your music and to protect it the right way. And so I want to talk to you about that. You recently wrote an article in Hypebot giving tips on how musicians should be protecting the work that they create. And in the article, you write about how artists should be registering their copyrights. And I'm interested in talking more about this idea of copyright registration. What do you say to artists who tell you something along the lines of it? I'm sure you've heard some version of this many times. Why should I take the time to register my copyrights? I heard that I have a copyright in my work from the moment I create it, even if I don't register it with the government. So why does registration matter? Right. Registration actually really does matter. Not only have I heard 
that reason that that you've just stated, but I've also heard, uh, oh, if I mail it to myself, <laughs> then the postmark counts as uh, proof that I wrote it on that date, which is known commonly by the term the poor man's copyright. And then I started getting people, once everybody started posting stuff on the internet, people would say to me, well, once I post it, there is a date stamp. So that counts. And so I decided I coined the term poor man's copyright 2.0 for that scenario. And <laughs> 21st century the, poor man's copyright. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but the, um, the problem is, is that none of those actually provide the amount of protection that someone is going to need when or if there is an infringement on someone's work. So yes, it is true that, you know, and I'm just going to piggyback on your very good disclaimer for the uh, podcast, you know, it's not legal advice, <laughs> seek an attorney. <laughs> for either but, attorney on this show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but so there are, it is a work that has sufficient originality to qualify for copyright protection and is what we called fixed in a tangible medium of expression, which means it's in some kind of physical format, like you've written it down, you've recorded it on audio recording or a video recording, something like that. It does qualify for copyright protection under the law. However, there are certain benefits that you get that only come with filing a registration with the Federal Copyright Office and being uh, issued that federal registration certificate. And some of them are, are like, there's a public notice of who owns the work because it'll be on the copyright database saying, you know, so-and-so wrote this song. Um, that creates a legal presumption that like, oh, well, if you have the registration, then you're probably the owner of it. Um, and also in an infringement suit, there's statutory damages, which basically means you're eligible for more money. But there are two benefits that are really just the strongest argument for why you need to register with the Copyright Office. And the first one is that a person cannot sue in federal court for copyright infringement without a registration with the US Copyright Office. So if you don't have that registration and you think somebody infringed your work, you cannot sue in a federal court. And federal courts are the ones, the courts that generally um, take care of copyright issues because copyright is considered federal law. I'm leaving out, you know, any state protections at the moment. Know, right. Ryan, so, you're going to ask me another question. So the government is going to make you register the work anyway to bring a suit. So you're saying you might as well get out ahead of it and you know, exactly. yeah, because, do it when you actually make the, the work. the reason why you should do it ahead of time rather than when an, an infringement pops up is because, you know, let's say somebody didn't register their work and then infringement pops up, they can still register in advance of litigation but you're gonna to have to rush that application. You're gonna to have to put it on special rush status with the copyright office. That's an extra $800 right there just to, to put it on rush status and have the copyright office like move it to the, the front of the line to, to get it 
um, done for you. So that's, I mean, you could have registered it in the beginning and then not had to worry about paying $800 or rushing it or being stressed out about it. Um, and then the second uh, benefit of that I think is the other strongest reason why works need to be registered with the US Copyright Office is that the date of creation listed on a federal registration certificate is the strongest evidence a court will consider for what is the actual date of creation of that work. So it doesn't matter if you have a postmark on an envelope or a date stamp on a website. Um, will they look at that? I don't know, maybe. But what they're really going to look at is what is the definitive date is the date that's on that registration certificate. Um, so for those two reasons alone, it's worth it to, to get the federal registration. The legal advantages listeners are absolutely tremendous. And yes. an, an artist should just make it a part of their regular launch process when putting out a, a record, just another thing to check off on your list, which is getting those copyrights registered, which as I like to tell clients, unlike almost everything else that's involved in dealing with the government, copyright registration is actually kind of easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and there, yeah. That process, and I mean, it takes a while to get your certificate, um, but you know, they the copyright office does a good job. They really do. Absolutely. Yeah. Now there are a lot of companies out there, and you mentioned this in your article that sort of purport to provide what kind of look like copyright registration services. And sometimes they actually are, but sometimes there's something different and actually will not provide an artist with the sort of protection that government registration provides them with. Can you give uh, the listeners out there some tips on sort of how to navigate these companies and whether they're actually valuable for artists to look at in terms of protecting their work? Sure. So there's kind of two realms, if you will. There are some companies that will actually file federal registration certificates with the U.S. Copyright Office. They just provide a service of doing it on your behalf. So you hire a company to do the federal registrations for you. Um, whether they're good at it or not, I don't know. So, I, so if somebody is looking into using one of those companies, I would definitely recommend doing due diligence, asking the company a lot of questions, make sure that they know what they're doing, um, so because my advice to clients or independent musicians that always ask me is if you don't know how to do copyright registrations, you want somebody to do it on your behalf, the best way to go about it is to actually hire an attorney that regularly files copyright registrations and knows how to do it and how to file that application based on what you are looking to file and protect because it sometimes differs based on what the situation is. It might be a composition, it might be a sound recording, it might be work for hire instances, it might uh, have other works that are incorporated in. These are all different factors that need to be accounted for in the application. So. I always recommend having an experienced music or copyright attorney uh, handling that for you if you're not gonna handle it yourself. But the second kind of realm of these companies that have been popping up 
are companies that offer a sort of alternative to copyright registration, whereby their sort of argument is, well, it's really expensive to register copyrights, which it's not, it's only 45 to $65 per application at, the, at this current time, um, depending on what kind of application you're filing. But these companies are coming out saying they're charging like less than $5 a registration to give some sort of encrypted date stamp um, or some, maybe not even an encrypted date stamp, but it, it depends on what company you're you're looking at, but it's basically, oh, well, you'll be listed in our database. And as we said earlier, a court is not necessarily going to look at any of this other circumstantial evidence, because what makes a date stamp in some company's database really different than a date stamp on YouTube of when a video was posted or something. So what they're doing is so they're you know they're charging you a couple bucks to have this registration in their database of this date stamp but again it doesn't protect you in an infringement situation because it's not a federal registration so let's say you know a year later there's a potential infringement on your work then you've got to go file the federal copyright registration anyway then you've got to pay the rush fee of $800. So now you've paid another like $865 <laughs> for this registration, plus the $5 or whatever you already paid for this date stamp thing. Um, and it's just, I felt I was getting asked by different musicians, should I do this? And it really upset me because I saw that a lot of people did not understand the difference between what one of these companies were offering versus federal copyright registration. And they believed that by registering with one of these other companies that they were protected. And so it was very misleading to a lot of people. And in, Ryan, you know me, I've got to get the right information out there for the people so they know <laughs> what to do. Um, so yeah, that's why I had to write the article because I said people need to know what the real facts are on how to protect your work. And these kinds of companies, I've seen them also with trademarks, um, which trademark would be like registering a band name, for example. So I've seen these like band name databases well who's gonna know to look there to see if like some <laughs> band is already using that name um and again trademark comes with those same kinds of protections that are it's very similar to what i already went over about copyright so it's the same situation there is that again if you want your name protected you want to file with the with the united states patent and trademark office um and then what some people were saying to me too, which I didn't put in the article is that they thought that things like registering with their performance rights organization, like ASCAP or BMI mm. or, you know, different societies like that was also coming with some form of protection. And that's, those are just royalty paying, collecting and paying organizations. So, um, I'll, 
probably be putting out a follow-up to go into that in more detail for people. But, um, but basically, you know, when you want protection, you want to think of the copyright office. So like protection equals U.S. copyright registration it sounds like there's what it comes down to really no substitute for that government registration and it sounds like a lot of what some of these companies are offering not the ones that are offering like real assistance with government registration Mm -hmm. but this second group that you talked about is really what we were talking about earlier right it's just the 21st century version of the poor man's copyright of the mailing your your cd to yourself and thinking that that date stamp is going to be uh you know ironclad in court Uh, I'm really glad you're here to shed the light on this, and we are going to share your article in the episode description so that the listeners can benefit from the full uh, accounting of the information there because there's a lot of great stuff. Let me ask you one other question about copyright registration that I think is of particular interest to a lot of the artists that listen to this program because I can tell you that particularly in the last few years that I've been practicing law, the way that artists are and the frequency in which artists make content is changing. And I find that that can alter a artist's copyright registration strategy. So we go back to the olden days, and artists were generally making albums and EPs. And I'm putting out my 12 tracks every one or two years, and that made copyright registration pretty easy and predictable because you make your album, you register your copyright, you register all the tracks together in the album, and it's done. But now you're seeing a lot more what I call hyper-creators. You're seeing artists who will make a new song every week. Some, I even know of one artist who writes a new song every day, or they'll just, they, they put out albums with uh, less predictability and frequency. You might have a bunch of songs that come out, particularly during quarantine, when artists have nothing to do but create. There's a lot of tracks coming out. So when an artist is putting out music less predictably, and it's not just a 12-track album every year, and you can set your watch to when that album's coming out, when you get clients like that, how does it, affect how you recommend they pursue copyright registration and when they get those works registered? So it depends on the client. Hmm. If it's, um, I mean, first of all, I always recommend federal copyright registration, no matter who it is, but it comes down to personal choice at the end of the day. Um, and it depends on what the client's doing. So if it's, if it's a client that is putting out albums or songs, I have a client He is sort of a hyper creator. He puts out a new album pretty much every month or every other month um, and sometimes singles in between and whatnot. But we, you know, I do copyright registrations for him. Um, But then I have other clients that, for example, are composers and they're writing cues and they're churning out hundreds of cues and at some of them will say to me, well, you know what, if that particular 15 second cue gets, you know, there's an infringement on it, like I'll write another cue. It's not, <laughs> not that big of a deal to me. So, so it kind of depends because yeah, when you're copywriting hundreds and hundreds of, of titles that can get very expensive. Um, but So in that case, some people will say, you know, I'm willing to have a higher risk tolerance on, on, you know, if somebody infringes my 15 second cue, but, you know, artists that put out songs can take that same 
approach, but I think there's more, more at risk potentially because these are actually songs that are being put out. They're not just some 15 second snippet. Um, so yeah, I mean, especially, and also, um, depends on the genre because some genres use a lot more uh, sampling and interpolations and things like that. So it's, um, if you are concerned about other artists potentially sampling or interpolating your work because of that's kind of how it works in whatever genre you're in or whatnot, um, you might be more prone to, to register those uh, to it won't necessarily stop someone from doing it, but it it will stop someone from using your work. But at least you then have the protections that you need in place to do something about it mm -hmm. if that does happen. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's it's the client's choice. But my recommendation is always you should have it federally registered with the U S copyright office. And, um, you know, and if you don't, here's what could go wrong. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, that's, that's part of my job is to tell people what might go wrong. And, uh, you know, and then at the end of the day, they, they have to make their own decision. But like I said, I always recommend going with the registration. That's it's, I mean, it's worth it to pay the money up front than to, you know, than to have to worry about it later and have somebody infringe the work and not have the protection and then pay all the extra fees. And yeah, I just think about how hefty of that price tag it is to have to put a rush order on a registration because you need to take somebody to court and you know, you're already losing a lot of money before you even start paying that right. litigator to, uh, to, right. to and fight the, the your case The litigator is going to be five figures just yeah. to get started. And you don't even know if you're going to win your suit. So, right. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's one of those things like, yeah, it's, you know, maybe $65 to begin with, but that's saving you potentially hundreds and thousands of dollars. Um, later and depending on what it is too what i try and do with clients is i look at uh, are there ways that certain songs can be grouped so maybe it's you know we're grouping them as an album mm -hmm. um and the copyright office has gotten a little more particular about what you can and cannot group but um but if we can do it that way then we do it that way because then we're paying one fee for a group of songs rather than you know, a fee for each individual registration. No, that's that's great insight. Listeners, Aaron's w one of the best among us and is tremendous at what she does. And if you don't believe me, you can ask the folks at Billboard who rated her one of the top music lawyers in 2020 this year, which is so, so awesome. Uh, very happy for our friend of the podcast here. We're going to, again, link to that uh, HypeBot article where you can learn all about protecting your works and what companies that you might want to stay away from in the uh, name of protecting your works. And you can find out more about our guests' work by visiting www.themusicindustrylawyer.com. Easy enough to remember. Aaron, this has been awesome. Before we let you go, one last question for you. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? My tip is to take care of your business, to 
look at what you need to get done, whether it be registrations for copyright, registrations for royalties, getting agreements together with the people that you're collaborating with. Um, take the time to have, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are taking the time to kind of understand more about the business and what you should and shouldn't be doing and, and what the different royalty streams are and what all these kinds of things in our business mean. Um, so that's great. You're already probably a step ahead, a step ahead. Um, but that is my recommendation is because your music is your craft. This is an expression of yourself, your creativity and, you know, and your dreams and it should be protected and you should know what's going on with it and understand the business part of it. So um, yeah, just understand what you need to do and do it. Don't take the like, oh, I don't want to deal with that approach. (laughs) You said it right. Anyone listening to this podcast, I feel confident doesn't want to take the, I don't want to deal with it approach because if they're taking the time to listen to you, they're ready to deal with it. And again, listeners, you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting themusicindustrylawyer.com. Lots of great writings and resources on that page to help you move your career forward. Aaron Jacobson, everybody. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. And thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast.